0: Welcome to the Grappling Discourse Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scaff. Today, I want to give you one tip that will greatly improve your mount. First, some PGF news. Guys, season two is going to look a lot different than season one. Season one took place over 13 weeks. The competitors competed 10 out of those 13 weeks. Every competitor received two bye weeks and... The PGF as a whole was off for a week. So it was a grind for everyone involved, but especially the guys that were coming from out of town. Caleb McAllister was driving and flying a couple times. I know he flew a couple of times from Virginia. Mike Johnson drove six hours from Georgia. Mario and his crew drove six hours from Illinois. Nilo was driving four hours from Memphis. And there was a handful of other guys that came from out of state as well. So huge shout out to everyone involved. The local guys and the guys from out of state, you guys all competed like savages and earned nothing but our love and respect. But going into season two, we wanted to accommodate the guys that were coming from out of town uh, a little bit more, and uh, I should say a lot more. And the reason we didn't do that in season one was because the idea and the vision of the PGF was to showcase local talent. And so Brandon had a lot of guys, tons of high-level guys, contact him from Texas, Arizona, California, New York, Florida, Pennsylvania. Just to name a few places, like I know, contacted him. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to fly in and they wanted to can do all their matches over one weekend. So a high-level black belt was really hoping to just come down, do 10 to 15 matches over one weekend, and then maybe fly down again to do the remaining matches and then fly in for the finale. And Brandon said no. Brandon said, if you cannot commit... To 10 Fridays indicator. if you cannot be here for the PGF every Friday, you cannot enter. And so it shut down a lot of high-level guys, and he gave those spots to more local guys. And as we know, season one turned out amazing. It was awesome. But the big problem with season two has been filling the competitor spots, especially with local talent. Still, Brandon was getting contacted by these guys that were from out of state that wanted him to change the format a little bit so they could compete. They loved season one. They wanted to get in, but they just couldn't commit to every Friday. Well, Brandon turned them down for a bit. But as the start date for season two got near, again, there were no local guys that were committing. And that was my biggest fear with the PGF and with Brandon's ideas that were similar to the PGF. You know, he's been wanting to do a grappling league for a long time. But I always shot it down and was hesitant to, you know, support it because I just didn't think local guys would commit. They don't commit to any of the events around here. So why would they commit to an event being run by Tenth Planet Decatur? And I don't know the reason for this. I mean obviously, I think it's because they're scared, they're afraid of losing their ego, uh, couldn't handle it, and or maybe they just think they're better than us. I don't know, whatever the reason is, local guys are not. Jumping in, I mean, this season we have a handful of students from Tenth Planet Decatur, and, and that's obvious, right? Well, of course, we were going to get a couple of guys to compete. We have the Elkins brothers coming back from uh, Birmingham, and then there were a couple of other guys from Decatur. So we had Webster's Karate representing. They have two guys jumping in with, with and they both have uh, quite a bit of experience with grappling. But we had zero guys from Huntsville. So Huntsville has multiple jiu-jitsu schools. Zero guys, 225 and under, are in season two from Huntsville. It makes no sense to me. And there's a handful of other places that have zero representation that you know are within two hours, that you know have guys that can't compete and compete regularly. They're just not doing season two. And it just blows my mind that a competitor would pay to compete. So maybe it's the IBJJF. They would fly out to Nogi Pans for two matches. And if they win, they get a gold medal. But they're paying... Shoot, the registration fees, you know, just to register yearly for the IBJJF and then register for that event and then get a hotel, get food, you know, your food there for a couple of days. Like We're talking about $1,000 just to go compete and possibly win a medal where PGF Season 2 is offering $3,000 to the champion with other incentives and we're not getting these guys, these local guys to, to enter. So anyways, the format had to change because we had to accommodate Uh, guys coming from out of state and so the pgf now instead of taking place over 13 weeks is going to take place over five days so competitors are going to be flying in driving in and they're going to be staying in decatur for five days so it's going to be much more like the ultimate fighter so think ultimate fighter so i think season two is going to be incredible i still think it's going to be way better than season one and since we have changed the format we've gotten higher level competitors than we would have got with the local guys it's just the truth. I mean, Hunter Colvin's world class. He's flying in. He's going to be staying in Decatur for a week. We've got um, Zach Edwards from 10th Planet Austin, the Bethlehem product. He is one of the top rising, uh, top rising guys. He's going to be in for a week. Sam Barboza, he's been game this whole time. So he came in with the intention of living here indicator for like two or three months for season two so i know he's super relieved that he can just get all of his matches over and he can only be he only has to be here a week instead of the full 13 i know elijah's probably really happy he's not going to be making that drive back and forth from chattanooga i mean that's not too far it's only two hours but it's definitely going to help those guys and it's going to allow the pgf to continue to grow and now if this format works out, we're going to be able to get even higher level of competition because Brandon just announced this like 10 days ago and he already had a couple of top level studs enter. So I think if he would have been advertising this for two to three months, we would see even higher level guys. Probably a Donahue guy would be represented. I mean, there would be some top level dudes under 225, but we still have some of the cream of the crop guys. Season two is going to be amazing. Um, the one other big thing that I need to tell you guys is you're not going to be able to watch it live. You're not going to be able to come to the gym to watch it live. There's not going to be a live stream, and the results are going to be secret. I am not going to watch it live. I am not going to know the results. So when we release the product, when I should say when Brandon and Keelan release the first episode of season two, um, I'm going to be just in the dark as as you guys. And there's a couple of reasons that I do not want to know the results. And that I'm going to be in the dark. Because as the commentator, if I know the results, it's going to affect my commentating. Like if I know that Elijah flying triangles, Hunter Colvin, if there's some huge upset, like it's going to be hard for me not to give that away during the live stream or when the match is going on. So that's really important, and I don't want to be biased, you know. Like if I know if I know Elijah wins the season, or I know if Sam wins the season, then it's gonna to be tough for me not to like spoil that before you know all the episodes are out. Um, and so there's another big reason as well. Like if I know the results of a match, so if I'm taping an NBA game and I find out the results before um, you know before I watch the game, then I'm just gonna fast forward through it. And I'm not going to enjoy it as much. So as a viewer and somebody that's also trying to watch the PGF, uh, as a fan, I want to watch it with zero idea of the results because I don't want to have that feeling of, okay, I know this match ends in a draw. I know this match ends in a draw. Ooh, I know this one has a really sick arm bar, but it happens near the end, so let's just get to the arm bar. So we're all going to be watching it together. I cannot wait for the premiere. There's going to be a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. There's not going to be any... What's going to be really nice about not having a live is there's not going to be any um, equipment mess up, so technology is not going to be an issue. We're going to have a professional product, and it's going to be even better than season one. This is a huge reason that I am so behind Brandon on anything he does because Brandon adapts. He makes necessary changes to continue to thrive. He constantly reinvents himself, and when the PGF needed a little bit of reinventing, he did it, and he's made it better, and season two is going to be awesome. But I want to talk about the mount because I've learned one detail the past couple of months that has completely changed my mount game. I feel confident and I'm getting subs there every single time I train. And this was a huge weakness of mine for a very long time. And I still have PTSD from my blue and purple belt days from being scared of taking the mount. And I'm talking about being scared of taking the mount. Now, when you guys, when when you start with jujitsu or at any point, what is... The most dominant position. A lot of people will say the mount. Like you want to end up in the mount. Especially in an MMA fight, people are like, no, no, you need a mount master. You're going to be able to throw strikes from the mount. In the gi, getting to the mount, that X choke, that cross-collar choke from the mount is most possibly that in the bow and arrow. Are probably the two most powerful chokes in all of the gi. So having a good mount game is really, really important. Well, I just never did. Until recently, I never played mount and I never felt comfortable playing mount. And a big reason for that was I'm a smaller guy. And so when I take mount, I am putting myself on top of my partner's power. And so if I'm 160 pounds and I'm going against a 220-pound guy, even if he doesn't have any experience, if I do the position poorly, there's a really good chance that I lose it. And the consequences of losing it usually end up with me being on bottom. So I always found like side control, it's really, really tough to get thrown off uh, and rolled from side control. Like you have to do a really, really poor side control to get flipped. And that's a very, very, very beginner mistake. But with mount, if your partner traps your arm and your leg and they're really explosive and they got an explosive bridge, it's really easy for them um, to bridge and roll you. It's really easy for them to elbow escape you and put you right back in the half guard with an underhook. And now they're coming up into the wrestling positions. And I also had trouble with guys that were just benching me off. I remember me and Eric Anders. So the UFC fighter Eric Anders has come through quite a few times. I've been really lucky to train with him a handful of times. But the first time we ever rolled together, he was a white belt. And I think I was also a white belt. I think we both were at the end of our white belt. So this is years and years and years ago. But I remember having like an epic war with him. But I remember I mounted him. And I remember him just bench pressing me off of him from mount. He just benched me off. And it was just shocking. And it was terrifying. You know, here I am as this guy... You know, this grown man, I'm just getting benched off by another grown man. It made me feel like a little boy. And there's been a handful of times at the blue and purple belt level that I got bridged and rolled and bridged off by, I mean, obviously Eric Andrews is a world-class athlete, but I was getting bridged off and bridged and rolled by guys that had been training just like a month. They didn't really know anything. They just grabbed my arm and they just bridged over their shoulder. And now all of a sudden I'm on bottom and I'm getting smashed from my closed guard. I hated that and I felt like such a loser. I guess loser is really the word. I mean, that's how I felt. I'm supposed to be this colored belt, and this white belt here is just exploding, and he's putting me on my back from me having the most dominant position. It was embarrassing, and I was embarrassed by my mount. And so, because I felt that way, I avoided it for a long time. I got super good at the other top positions, but that was a position that's been a weakness of mine for many, many years. So, what's changed? Well, Quite a few things have changed, uh, but one big tip that I have for you guys that I've never really heard anybody else say, I got this from Brandon. Brandon has by far the best mount I've ever experienced. I've rolled with a lot of champions, world champions, ADCC guys, UFC guys, and none of them have a mount that I would compare to Brandon's. Brandon's mount is terrifying. And it's really simple, actually. And the detail involves pinning the head. So, what you're going to do when you get to the mount position, okay, is you're going to use your head to pin your partner's head. Now, we'll talk about the hands in a second because there's a bunch of different ways you can play with the hands, whether they're spread out so you're really getting good base or you have a cross face and your head and your uh, the, your head's acting as um, a reinforcer on the other side. But the whole idea with the head pin here is I want my head to be wedged and put in a place in between my partner and the way he's trying to look. So if my partner is trying to look and trying to uh, well trying to look over his left shoulder, whether he's trying to bridge or whether he's trying to get to his side so he can elbow escape, I need to stop that. And so what I do is is I take my head and I put it and I place it just above his ear into that temple and I slightly turn it with my t- with my own head. So I'm not using my neck. I'm not like straining and trying to turn my head and using muscle. No, I just simply connect to my partner's temple. So I'm head to head and I slightly turn and it has completely changed my control, my level of control and the way that I'm able to attack and mount. I can't believe it's that simple. I'm telling you tonight or the next time you train, take the mount position or just, hey, let me start in mount. Let me just add this detail simply connect your head above the ear right in that temple and slightly turn your partner's head you will shut down most mount escapes right off the bat you will go from having a terrible mount a mount that you're insecure in like mine was for many years to oh my god i'm starting to submit people regularly from the mount and we'll talk about how i'm submitting to people and it makes sense the like how brandon's using this head pin Uh, to set up his favorite submission, the punch choke, because that's what I've been hitting a lot of recently. Last night, man, I've I've just been hitting these punch chokes that feel so pure, and it just makes me so happy because for a long time, I had to force the punch choke. But now, since I'm able to control the mount, I am able to technically put it in and finish with pure technique compared to just, oh, I'm going to try and punch through your throat to get you to tap. So once you have that head pin position in place, now your hands, now you can go with the cross face, and the cross face with the head pin is incredibly powerful. And this is when you really want to start setting up your punch choke. That punch choke and arm triangle pay off of the cross face and head pin are the most money move in nogi mount i mean it should be a staple of every jiu-jitsu school to learn this technique and learn this idea and learn that attack series but another way that i really like to play is I'll spread my hands like really far out so you know nobody can overhook them. I'm not going to get bridge and roll, especially when I'm playing with people um, and I'm playing light. Like I'm not playing super aggressive. What I'll do is I'll just put my hands on the ground. I'll spread my fingers. I'll have my arms really wide, uh, wide apart and I'll get that head pin position. And so if my partner's trying to get to his left shoulder or trying to do a big bridge over his left shoulder, I'll put my head on the side. I'll connect to that that side of his head so he can't bridge. Well, if he's now trying to turn the other way, well, first, that's going to be the secondary way that he wanted to go. Almost everybody has a primary side they like to escape to. They're going to try and escape to that side first. And when they can't go that way, and they can't because of the head pin, they're going to try and turn to the other side. Now, what I'll do, if there's two things I'll do, I can simply just put my head over to the other side. I can just lift my head, put it on the other side and win the head pin on that side. And i can keep doing that back and forth but what i really like to do is i'll use my uh i guess it's my left arm in this situation so again imagine they tried to go over their left shoulder i tried to turn to their left side didn't work so now they're going to start turning to their right well i'm going to use my left arm so remember i have it straight and i want a slight bend in my elbow so my fingers are spread i got a slight bend in my elbow i'm going to use that bicep to turn their chin and then I can go right into a cross face on that side. So I'll use that bicep to turn their head a little bit, so to get that chin so my bicep will connect to their chin to turn their head so they can't turn their head that way and start really forcing, um, you know, getting up to their side. Use that bicep, boom, and then that straight arm will turn into a cross face. And now I'm in a deep cross face, um, you know, where I want to be with the deep cross face, and then I'll start attacking the punch choke and the arm triangle. If they start getting a little bit of headway or they start, like, bumping or whatever, I can always take that hand out and go back to a big base. I've got that big base they start trying to get to their side too much. I use that bicep again into the chin to turn their head. And then I start looking for the cross face again. And I just can play that indefinitely. And what I found is my biggest problem was that I wasn't pinning the shoulders and I wasn't pinning the head. And so while I might have been doing a good job of controlling my partner's hips from mount all these years, well, without proper shoulder, without a proper shoulder pin, I don't really control my partner. He's able to move and he's able to move explosively my hips and a lot of people especially the bigger stronger guys they want your hips on top of theirs and so they don't really care that their lower body like even if you're skydiving mountley it doesn't really matter to them because they're like look your hips are on top of mine If I just can get a, a, your upper body trapped well now I can explosively move and throw you off of me or turn the position to now where I'm on top so using this I'm able to pin the shoulders and so since they're not able to get into those, dom- they're not able to first start dominant movements or powerful movements, and they can't get to better positioning to do an elbow escape or to do a hip escape or to do a Jean Jacques escape, they're just stuck underneath me. And I found that my legs don't really, I mean, they, they matter for sure, but this headpin idea has been revolutionary. It's completely changed Everything about the mount, and it's becoming a position that I'm honestly really starting to become comfortable and confident in. And I'm just thinking, in six months, by the end of this year, a, like a, me being dangerous from the mount and having a system from the mount is terrifying for everyone I roll with, and it's going to make me a 10 times better grappler. So, huge shout out to Brandon. Work on that head pin idea, it really is that simple. Just connect to your head okay, above your partner's ear, like in that temple area and slightly turn, you'll find that it shuts down their ability to escape. Your ability to pin them, their upper body just became way easier. And you're going to find that submitting them, controlling, holding, submitting them, especially with the punch joke. Now I want to talk about that punch joke here because I have been working on it recently. It's becoming a move that I'm going to more and more. And what the head pin has allowed me to do is open that neck up. So since my partner's not able to turn on their side and I've got that head stuck into position, the neck's way more open. And so punching that fist in and getting that cat paw into the carotid, it's just pretty much always a money move. It's always open. And it forces my partner now, my opponent, to defend with their hand. And so when their arm starts to come up, well that's where the arm triangle comes in. And playing that off of each other is so simple. Now they're not even worried about framing your hips and elbow scaping, they're panicking and worrying about their upper body and about their neck, about getting punch choked or arm triangled. And so it's just made the control that much easier. So definitely something to think about. Message Brandon. I know Brandon's got all this content because um, he, all his new mount stuff is updated and should be on brandonmc.ninja. Huge plug for him. I'm telling you, it, it's changed the way that I've looked at the position and I'm becoming lethal from there. I really am finally starting to feel like a black belt uh, after all these years of, of honestly being embarrassed by my mount. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Let me know if you've seen the head pin or if you use it and you start to see success with it. I guarantee it's a game changer. Until next time, guys, peace.